If you're like most people, you struggle with anger. I think all of us, to a degree, we get angry. And the Bible tells us exactly what to do with our anger. Today on Awaken to Grace, we're going to break down Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to see how Scripture tells us we can actually rid our lives of anger. You know, most people that I meet who are angry, they don't want to be that way. And I think most people, if they knew what to do with their anger, they would let go of it. They just don't know how. Well, friends, today we're going to teach you how. I know today's going to help you, and I hope you'll consider sharing our app or sharing today's sermon with someone in your life. I hope you grow as you listen to Awaken to Grace today. A couple of things I want you to note before we get to our text in Ephesians 4. Number one, if you want to write this down, I think this is going to be foundation to our entire series. Because today we're going to talk about anger. Next Sunday we're going to talk about greed. What a timely sermon for the holiday season. Amen? And then the next Sunday on the 15th we're going to talk about jealousy. What do you do with the emotion of jealousy? And then on the last Sunday of this series which will be our Christmas Sunday, the 22nd, we're going to talk about guilt and what do you do with guilt. So anger, greed, jealousy, and guilt. That's what we're going to focus on over the next few weeks. And today, this is going to be foundational to the entire series. So I want you to note this, and I want you to remember this throughout our discussions together. Emotions are not wrong, okay? It is not wrong for you to feel an emotion. God has given us emotions. He has hardwired into us emotions. I had an older pastor try to tell me one time that God is not an emotional God, that God has divorced himself of all emotions. That's not what the Bible teaches. God himself feels emotions, right? We are created in the image of God, and God has given us emotions as a gift into our lives. Here is where we get in trouble. It is when you and I allow our lives to be controlled by emotions. God did not give us emotions for us to be dominated and controlled by them. Emotions is not to dictate how uh, how I handle situations or where I go in life or the decisions that I make, those are not to be determined by my emotions. Before I lost eyesight, I read an article that helped me a great deal. And it, this is what the article taught, was that emotions are a gauge. They are not a guide. Isn't that a great way to look at emotions? Emotions simply tell me how I feel. If something makes me angry, then I feel that anger. That's okay. I'm not to be controlled by that anger. If something makes me sad, that's all right to feel that, but I'm not to let that guide the decisions of my life. Emotions are a gauge, just like your gas hand tells you when you're running low. Emotions tell you what's going on in your life, but they are not the GPS. They do not tell you where to go or where to turn, and they are not to dictate our lives. 
If you are someone today that you are controlled by emotions, you are in stark contrast to being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And you and I are to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that our decisions and the way we think and the way we process and our affections and the way we feel, it ought to be so spirit-filled that we are controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Can we say amen to that? We're not to be dominated by emotions. We are to dominate our emotions using the Word of God, not the other way around. So today I want to talk to you about anger. If you could remove anger out of your life, would you do it? If you could rid it out of your soul and out of your heart, would you get rid of it? Well, the Bible tells us crystal clear how to do it. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 9, you don't have to turn there, but I want you to note it because it's so foundational to what we're talking about today. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 9 says, do not let your spirit be quick to get angry. Oh, I fell right there. How about you? (laughs) I could just close the Bible and go home, and that's enough to work on for the next month or two, right? Do not let your spirit be quick to get angry. Oh, don't raise your hands. How many of you are short-tempered? How many of you have a short fuse? How many of you lose your quick your temper quickly? Ooh. This is this is the word of God to us. Don't be quick to lose your temper. I've had people tell me, <clears throat> I've been in counseling sessions where someone will try to justify their temper and they'll say, Well, I get mad, but it only lasts a few seconds. Have you ever heard someone say that? Oh, I lose my temper, but it don't last long. You know what I tell people who tell me that? Tornadoes don't last but a few seconds. But look at the carnage it causes. Look at the damage it leaves behind. Your temper may only last a second, but what's it teaching your children? What's it robbing and stealing from your spouse? How many jobs have you lost over your temper? How many relationships have you lost over your anger? Don't Let your spirit be quick to get angry. And then look what he says. This is so critical. For anger lodges in the heart of fools. Oh my goodness. Anger lodges in the heart. There are so many believers who love God. They follow Christ. They love the word of God. But they're walking around with literal heart disease because anger has lodged itself in their hearts. And it's not that you want it to be there. It's that you don't know how to get it out. Today we're going to learn how to get it out to the glory of God. Amen? Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And this is going to be our primary text for today. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. I love these scriptures. Paul is going to give us some of the most helpful, but you can't miss this, some of the most authoritative teaching that we can find in the Bible. This is not just beneficial. I mean, this is not just helpful to your daily life. This is authoritative. 
This is the word of God speaking to us. Amen. And my goal in this sermon is that by the time we're finished, you will no longer excuse anger in your life. You'll no longer excuse bitterness. You'll no longer excuse rage. You'll no longer accept any form of anger to lodge itself within your heart. But you will actively get rid of it and remove it. So notice what he says. This is so good. This is such good scripture. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander, Be put away from you, along with all malice. Oh, I love verse 31. Now, when I first listened to this, I'm thinking to myself, well, aren't these the same thing? Is bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and say, is that not all just the same thing? No, it's not. I want you to note this in in your text today. When he says bitterness, now this is very important for us to understand. Bitterness is a form of anger. And let me tell you what is so deceptive about bitterness. Bitterness will grow in your life without you even realizing it. Because what bitterness does, and this is what the Bible teaches in Ephesians 4, the Bible teaches that bitterness is a root. And you know what I see with a lot of believers? Because we don't know how to really handle these hard, emotional, complex issues, what we do as Christians is we cut off the fruit. So bitterness will be in our lives and God will convict us of this and you know we'll be in our worship time or we'll be reading the Bible or we'll be listening to preaching or we'll just be praying in our car and we'll go, you know, God, I don't want to feel that way and, and just help me not to feel that way and we'll cut the fruit off. But do you know what happens if you don't get down and cut out the root? The fruit will grow back. And some of you are stuck in a cycle where you deal with this stuff every once in a while, periodically, and then you don't understand, why does it come back into my life? Why can I not get complete and total victory over this issue? Because, my friends, you have to sever the root. And when you take the axe of God's word and you once and for all sever the root of bitterness, it won't grow back in your life again. Amen? You can't just cut the root. Uh, the fruit. You must cut the root in order for it to go away. Some of you are here today, and while you love God, you're harboring bitterness. And the Bible has a clear command for us to get it rid out of our life. Then notice what he says next, wrath. Well, is wrath not the same thing as anger? No. The word translated here, wrath, means rage. Rage. And I realize today as I preach that there are many of you this brings back bad memories because you grew up in a house full of rage. There's physical rage, there's a verbal rage, and there is emotional rage. And I realize that for many it brings back memories, but I'm going to show you exactly what to do with them. And then he says anger. Oh, this word anger could be translated a smoldering resentment. Isn't that fascinating? A smoldering resentment. Remember what I said. You don't have to 
yell and scream and act a fool to be an angry person. You could smolder with resentment today. And it's the same thing. Now, while bitterness, wrath, and anger are mentioned here, this is what I want you to write down about this. These are inward emotions. This is what goes on on the inside that people can't often see. This is what's going on in your heart, in your soul. This is what lodges in the heart according to Ecclesiastes 7.9. The next three things that Paul says are outward expressions of bitterness, rage, and anger. Notice what he says next. What are we to put away out of our lives? Bitterness, wrath, and anger. But now notice what he says. What is inward then turns into outward. What happens inside is expressed on the outside. And then he mentions clamor. Well, what is clamor? This word could be translated harsh words. How many of us can cut deeper than any knife with our tongue? How many of us know the effects, the lifelong effects of harsh words? Let me tell you, my friends, and I feel the Spirit of God right now. This is not a shout-me-down sermon. I realize that, but I feel the Holy Spirit so strong right now. Fathers, I can feel the Holy Spirit wanting to say a word to you. Let me tell you, fathers, your words are going to outlive you. They're going to outlive you. And the way you speak to your children, the way you talk to your wife, the way that you use the harshness of your words, that will be the memory. That will be the legacy. And your words will outlive you. Be careful that you're not a man that clamors. Be careful that you're not a man of harsh words. Can we say amen to that? Then he mentions slander. Well, (laughs) oh, Christians are the worst for slander, aren't we? I mean, we're good at it. We mask it really well. We, We do it in a way that it don't make us look bad. Have you ever had someone come up to you and say, now, I wouldn't say anything to you, but I know you'll pray about it. Oh, you be weary of that. Amen? Have you ever heard the old saying, he who gossips to you will gossip about you. So you be careful. You're friends with a gossiper, you better hold on tight because it's going to end bad for you. Amen? Do you know what part of the root word for slander is? It's diablo, demonic, satanic. Christians, we must understand that when we slander others, we are doing the devil's work. Have you ever realized that? Do you realize that when you get with other believers and you slander, you you gossip, you cut down, you tear down, Do you realize what you're doing? All Satan has to do is fold his arms and let you do his bidding because you're doing the very work of Satan for him. Do we see it as that serious? Clamor, 
slander. And then, as if the Holy Spirit just wanted to make sure that no stone was left unturned, he then says, remove these things from your life along with all malice. I love that. Because you know what malice means? It means general ill will. General ill will. When I was preparing for this, I was listening to uh, some books on this. And one of the authors, I I just thought this was such a wonderful point. It it really caused me to go back and really take inventory of my life. Who has hurt me in the past? Who's walked out of my life? Who has offended me? Who's caused me pain? Who's caused me hurt or grief or affliction or sorrow? And, 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 and listen to this. I just thought this was so telling because it caused me to take inventory. It said, what imaginary conversations do you have with people who've hurt you? How often, think about this, do you secretly wish that person would fail at whatever they're doing in life? You know what that is, my friend? That is ill will. That is malice. And think of it, for us to come in here and lift our hands to worship God and desire a clean life and desire that God would touch us and purify us and cleanse us and help us and restore us and yet have malice toward our brother? That can't be. And so here's what he says. Watch this. He says, remove it out of your life. Now, if you're like me, it causes me to say, well, Lord, I would do it if I knew how. How do I remove this? Let me tell you what I'm so thankful about the word of God. It never leaves us with a question. It's going to tell us how. In another book that I was listening to about this, it, it was talking about how you remove anger and bitterness and wrath out of your life. And what a great example they gave. Do, do you know the example that, that I read on how to remove this? Huh. This is so wonderful. Have you ever walked into a spider web? What do you do when you walk into a spider web? Do you go, thank you, Lord God, hallelujah? (laughs) No. What do you do when you walk into a spider web? You freak out, don't you? And you pull and and you out of your hair and your face and your clothes and you get it off of you, right? This is exactly what Paul is saying. If there's anger in your heart, get it off. If there is clamor, if there is slander, if there is bitterness, if there is wrath, get it off of you, whatever it takes. Amen. No one walks into a spider web and goes, "Ah, I'll get it later. (laughs) You deal with it then, right? And you ever, ever walked into one at night? That's the worst, isn't it? Jesus, help us. So get it off. Get it out of your life. Rid yourself. But how? How do I do that? I don't want to feel this way, Lord. I'm tired of the anger, Lord. I'm sick of bitterness. I'm tired of resentment. What do I do? Verse 32. It's going to be hard, but listen. We're we're going to make it. We're going to do it. Paul says... Be kind to one another. Let's just explore this for a second. How deep 
is the issue of kindness in the mind and the heart of God. I sat down with couples and do an enormous amount of marriage counseling and I'll sit down with couples and they'll come back here to our back counseling office and whereas marriages are to be one flesh, what do you think it is? Butting heads. And you know what I tell marriages? Going forward, there's going to be a hundred reasons to disagree. But let me tell you, listen, and I'm preaching to me. There is never a reason to be unkind. Ever. There's always reasons to disagree, to have tension, to not see eye to eye. How many of you know opposites attract? Anybody marry your opposite? I had a college student come in one time a few years ago, and she needed to ask some leaders in her life. She called it the, the ask God the why question. What's the one thing you want to know? What's the one thing you would ask God when you get to heaven? And I thought about it for a few minutes, and I said, I, I got it. I want to know why opposites attract. <laughs> That's what I want to ask God, because it's true. Opposites attract, and but listen, there's always reasons, always. There's always going to be reasons for you to disagree, but there should never be a reason to be unkind. How serious does God take kindness? Listen to this, Romans chapter 2, verse 14. The Bible says that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Isn't that fascinating? The kindness of God is the very thing that initiates and leads us to a place of submitting and surrendering our lives to the Lord. If God had that kind of kindness upon us, how much more kindness should we have upon others? You mean, whoa, Chad, you mean the person who did me wrong? That's exactly what the Bible's saying. You mean the person that doesn't deserve it? It's exactly what the Bible is saying. And listen, we're going to go through a process here. Watch this. How do you get rid of anger? Like a spider web, how do you get it off of your face and out of your heart? And, and anger and bitterness and wrath that lodges in the heart, how do you get it out? Number one, be kind to one another. That person who hurt you, that person that walked out on you, that person that stole a chapter out of your life, that person who stole money from you, that person who stole your innocence, that person who violated you, that person who robbed you of whatever joy, peace, security. You know what the most kind thing you can do for that person is? Begin to pray for them. Begin to pray for them. That's the greatest kindness you can give them. I had a lady share with me after the 9 a.m. service this morning about her first marriage and how incredibly abusive he was. This lady today is in her 70s, and this was much earlier in her life. And she said, Chad, she said, do you know how I got rid of anger? She sat back there in my office and shared her story with me. She said, you know how I got rid of anger? 
the Lord put it on my heart to begin to pray for my ex-husband. She said, it wasn't easy. She said, the first many weeks, I felt like a sheer hypocrite praying for him. It felt hypocritical to ask God to convert him, to forgive him, to show him grace and mercy, and to show him the same kind of love God had showed me. She said it felt hypocritical, but she said, I just kept on, and I kept on, and I kept on praying for him every single day. She's already moved on. I mean, there's no reconciliation. She wasn't aiming for reconciliation. And she's been married to a phenomenal man who I have such high regard for for over 40 years now. She got a burden for her first husband. Oh, what a, what, a, what a testimony it was. And you know what she said? She said, Chad, about 10 months in, she said, I began to realize the pain had lifted. The pain was gone. The hurt was gone. The anger was gone. See, there's a principle, and, and I told her this, and I think the principle applies here. When you think about gossip, as we just mentioned on slander, listen to this. Think about this. <clears throat> you, do not, you do not gossip about the people you pray for. Have you ever thought about that? You, do, you don't gossip about the people that you pray for. And you don't pray for the people you gossip about. Have you ever thought about that? The same principle holds true in forgiveness. You're not going to stay angry at someone you pray for. The Lord gives you a burden for them. I'm not saying you justify what they did. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that you acknowledge what they did was okay. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying the word of God is telling you and telling me, be kind. And the greatest kindness you can give someone is to pray for them. Then he's going to take it a step further. He's going to go deeper. Because anybody can do that. Anybody can make a checklist and go, okay, I'm going to pray for this person every day at 10 p.m. And that's all I'll do. No, no. See, he's going to go a step further. Now watch what he says. And be tender-hearted. Another way to translate that is compassion. Be compassionate. Be tender-hearted toward one another. Are you a tender-hearted person? Or has anger so calloused your heart that God and others can no longer touch it? No, no, no. See, my friends, if anger has lodged inside your heart, Ecclesiastes 7, 9, you're not tenderhearted today. You need to ask the Lord to help you remove that anger and once again make you tenderhearted. Amen? And then what's what he says? Once you've grown in kindness and once you've grown in compassion and tenderness, now you're ready. Look what he says. Forgiving one another. Friends, there isn't but one way to get rid of anger in your life. That's to replace it with something. You have to replace that anger. You have got to remove it and you must replace it. And there isn't but one thing to replace it with and that is the forgiveness of God. Amen? And as God gives you grace to be able to do that, 
You're going to walk in the freedom. You're going to walk in the joy. You're going to walk in the victory that is yours in Christ Jesus. Now you say, Chad, how do I forgive someone? How do I not just go through the motions? How do I know in my heart that I've truly forgiven someone? Better question for right now. What makes you think they deserve it, Chad? I am quite sure that if I sat down with you this morning and listened to your story, I'm quite certain that if you told me who had hurt you, who had embarrassed you, who had walked out on you, who had mistreated you, who had stolen your trust and security, I bet I would side with you. I bet I would agree with you that they don't deserve any forgiveness at all. But see, this is why it's so important that the Bible shapes our perception. This is why it's so important that the Bible shapes our affections and our emotions and our feelings. Because if it's left up to us, would we choose the right thing? No. Let me tell you something. I can justify something in my life quicker than you can turn around. Are you the same way? I can justify anything. And that's why I need the word of God to correct me and to help me and to not let me get by with things like that. So this morning, you could choose not to forgive that person because of what they stole from you, because of what they robbed you from, because of what they cost you. Yes, you could choose not to forgive and you could have all of these reasons. You could have all of these excuses. But at the end of the day, there is a phrase here that is going to wipe away every excuse. And notice what Paul says. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Hallelujah. Amen. When I look at people who have hurt me and I compare it to this scripture, there is no comparison. And I have no excuse and you have no excuse. Those who have been forgiven much, we must forgive much. Amen. And have you been forgiven? Were there any stipulations on you? Were there any conditions on your forgiveness? No. Go to Matthew chapter 18, and this is where I'll finish today. Matthew chapter 18. I'm just going to tell you the story, but you can follow along and you can read it in more detail when you can. But there is a principle here that I want us to really get before we close today. Matthew chapter 18, I love this story because Jesus is talking about offense. He's talking about what do you do when someone offends you? You go to that person privately. If they won't hear it, then you take someone else with you. And it just, it really teaches us how to handle people who have hurt us or offended us. And it's just, it's great, clear biblical teaching. Well, Peter's listening to this and I just love the apostle Peter. I mean, I just, I can't wait to get to heaven and meet him one day. I have this picture in my head of what he looks like. I picture Peter just a mountain of a man. You know what I mean? Like hairy and burly and loud, booming voice. I just picture Peter like a man's man. You know what I'm saying? And it's just boisterous and loud. And I just picture Peter this way. Well, how many of you know the Peter 
before he was filled with the Holy Spirit was far different than the Peter after the day of Pentecost, right? The Peter of Acts and the Peter of 1st and 2nd Peter is not the Peter of the Gospels. But Peter was changing ever so slowly. Get the scene in your head. Peter's listening to Jesus, and Peter's beginning to grow. I think Peter was the kind of man where if it came down to forgiveness, I think Peter would have rather fought than to forgive anybody. I think he's kind of like my eight-year-old. He'd rather hand out a knuckle sandwich. I don't know where that came from. I don't know. Knuckle sandwich. That sounds so weird for a kid to say, do you want a knuckle sandwich? I'm like, what are you, 1960? I don't know. Knuckle sandwich. So I think Peter would have rather fought. He would have rather, he wasn't interested in forgiveness. But see, Peter was listening. Peter was growing. Peter knew that Jesus was different. So Peter, I think, personally, I think Peter wanted to impress Jesus. And do you remember his question? If someone does something to me, Jesus, how many times am I to forgive them? The old Peter would have said once. The old Peter would have said, maybe never, get revenge. But do you remember what Peter said? Seven times? I bet he was, just personally, I think he was trying to impress Jesus. I think he was trying to show Jesus just how much he was growing spiritually. I think he said in his heart, I'm not just going to forgive someone once. I'll forgive them seven times. That will impress Jesus. And do you remember what Jesus told him? No, Peter, not seven. Seventy-seven. What is he saying? Before Peter could even rebuttal, before Peter could even argue or, 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 or take a stand, no, Jesus begins to tell him a story, and I want you to look at it in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus says that there was a king. This is a parable. Jesus says there was a king who had a servant who owed him money. And the debt was so enormous, the debt was so large that Jesus said it was 10,000 talents. Just to put it in a a good vivid image, let's just say that the man owed him 10,000 bars of gold. It was a price that this man could have never in a lifetime could he have repaid. And the Bible says that the man fell to his knees and implored the king and said, have pity and have mercy upon me and my wife and my children. And the man said something absurd. He said, I will pay back all that I owe. Friends, he couldn't pay that much back. Do we not do the same thing in life? We'll make deals with God. We'll bargain with God. We'll tell God we'll clean our act up. We'll tell God we'll change our life. We'll turn our life around. We'll do whatever we have to do if God will help us right now in the moment. And friends, the fact is you and I could never, ever repay the debt of sin that we owe to God ever. And so Jesus tells the story. And in it, I want you to watch this. Jesus gives us God's definition of forgiveness. Do you know what he does to this servant? Knowing he can never repay the debt. He doesn't ask for 50%. He doesn't ask for 15% or 70%. Here's what he does. Jesus says, and the king canceled the debt. That's what true forgiveness is. 
It is canceling the dead. Well, then Jesus said, the man leaves the presence of the king and runs into another servant who owes him a hundred denarii. Again, just so we're on the same page. He owed the king 10,000 bars of gold. A hundred denarii would be as if saying, this man owed him, the servant, a hundred bars of silver. The debt did not compare. If you put that in today's calculation of what the spot price of gold is and the spot price of silver, it would be like the man owing the king $12 million. It would be like the servant owing the fellow servant $1,900. You see the difference? And the Bible says that instead of showing the same forgiveness, instead of having the same grace or the same mercy, it was the exact opposite. The man grabbed the servant by the throat, choking him, and said, pay me what you owe me. And the man was unable to pay. And the Bible says that that servant threw his fellow servant into prison. Word got back to the king. The king called the man who had the forgiven debt before him and said, how could you do this great wickedness? Did I not forgive your debt and you couldn't forgive his? And the Bible says the king threw the man into the debtor's prison. And then Jesus said something sobering. Jesus said something stunning. Jesus said, and so shall my father treat those who do not forgive from the heart. My, my, my. Friends, I want to tell you as crystal clear as I can, anger has no place in your heart. Bitterness has no place in your heart. Harsh words has no place in your life. Slander has no place. Malice has no place. And wrath and rage have no place in a believer's life. God takes this so serious. Do you? Do you? As I close today, this is the meat of what I want you to go home with. This is the meat of the message. How do you forgive someone? I'm going to tell you four things to do. And I would love it if you write it down because it's going to help you this much. Number one, how do I know that I am truly forgiving someone? I want to draw a line in the sand. I want to be able to look back years from now and say on December the 1st, on that Sunday, I let anger go out of my life. On December the 1st, I rid myself of bitterness and wrath and rage. I crossed the line that day, and I'm never going back. How do you know? Four ways, four things, because I realize many of you don't want this in your life, but you don't know what to do. I'm going to tell you right now four things to do. Here's what you do. <clears throat> this is how you do kindness, tenderhearted compassion, and forgiveness. This is how. Number one, get by yourself and write down the names of the people who hurt you. It may be one, maybe three, maybe five. I don't know, maybe 10. But you write their names down. Write it on paper. Why? Because you have to acknowledge what's really going on. You have to acknowledge it. Write their name down. And listen, I'm telling you, follow this. Follow this, and it's going to set you free. Write their name down. Number two, here's what you're going to do. 
you're going to write down what they stole from you. See, they owe you a debt. They owe you something. For some of you, it's a spouse who walked out of your life and they stole those years of your life. For some of you, it's money. Someone conned you. They scammed you. They robbed you. For some of you, it's your innocence. They violated you. They abused you. They stole your childhood. Write it down. Write down who you're angry with and write down what they stole. For some of you, people stole your security. You don't trust anybody anymore. You don't trust. You you have a hard time trusting God because of what that person stole. You have a hard time trusting your spouse because who you're married to in the past stole your trust. And you don't know what to do about it. I'm telling you right now, write down their name, write down what they stole. And now here's what you're going to do. Glory to God. Glory to God. This is what you're going to do. You're going to do what the king did in the parable. You're going to cancel their debt. Hallelujah. You're going to cancel the debt. Understand the parable. Who is the king? The king is almighty God. Who is the person who owed 10,000 bars of gold? That's you and me. Who's the person who only owes a hundred bars of silver? That's who hurt me. That's who hurt you. And you know what we're going to do today? To the glory of Jesus Christ, we're going to cancel their debt. And then after you've written their name down, after you've written down what they've stolen from you, and after you've physically canceled their debt, here's what you're going to do. You're going to pray And here's what you're going to do. You're going to say, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I forgive. And you insert that name. For what they stole from me. And you're going to say what they stole. And you're going to say, today, I forgive the debt. As you have canceled my debt, for Christ's sake, I cancel their debt in Jesus' name. And I'm telling you, God's going to set you free. Amen? God's going to set you free. And then there's a last step, this fourth step. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to take that paper. You're going to take that envelope. You're going to take whatever it is, and you're going to burn it. You're going to burn it to the glory of God. Bury it. I don't care what you do with it. Get rid of it. Put it to where you could never look at it again. And you know why that's so important? It's because let me tell you what will happen. As days pass, as weeks pass, months and years, you know what? Resentment will try to find its way back in you. Bitterness will try to get its claws back into you. And you know what you'll be able to say? You'll be able to say right then, as soon as you feel it, you say, no, I canceled that debt. Their debt is canceled in Jesus' name. December 1st, I canceled the debt. As God has canceled my debt, I've canceled theirs to the glory of God. And you say, Chad, I don't know if I can do that. Hear my heart today. God has done it 
for you. The question is not, can you? The question is, how can you not? When you have tasted the grace and the forgiveness of God, how can you not? Don't let anger lodge. Get rid of it today. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you need to come to the altar today and say, today I'm laying down anger. Today I'm laying down bitterness. Today I'm laying down slander. Today I'm laying down malice. There's someone in my life that I hope they fell and God's convicted me of that. I lay it down today. Today, if there are people that you need to forgive, you bring them to this altar right now. Say, Chad, they're not here. Listen, they may be dead. It doesn't matter. You bring it to the altar today and you say, Jesus, I'm laying it on the altar today and I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm ridding it like the spider web that's been on me. I'm getting rid of it. It is going. It is gone. It's finished. It is out of my life today. Amen. You come right now. You come right now. You come and pray, you come and pray and you lay it and you leave it here and you don't take it home. You don't walk out the doors with it. You lay that offense, you lay that hurt, you lay that brokenness, you lay that, that vicious thing that that person did, that malicious thing they did. You lay it at the altar today and you're gonna walk out restored and you're gonna walk out whole and you're gonna walk out redeemed and you're gonna walk out filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit today. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Anger will no longer have a hold on us. Amen. Bitterness and rage and wrath and clamor and slander and malice no longer has a hold in Jesus' name. In the mighty name of Jesus. Let it go. Rid yourself today. Rid your life of it. Get it out of your heart. Amen. Get it out. Get it out. Hallelujah. So God, we yield ourselves to you right now. We yield ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And we're not going to carry around offense. We're not going to carry around hurt any longer. We're not going to carry around how people have offended or violated us, God. It's a new day and we're born again. We're new creations in Christ. The old has passed away and now everything has become brand new to the glory of God. Brand new to the glory of God. So transform today, God. And we replace the anger with forgiveness. We replace the hurt with grace. We replace the bitterness with mercy, oh God. We replace the bad memories and we replace the resentment with prayers as we pray for those who have hurt us. And oh God, as you have forgiven our debts, so we forgive our debtors to the glory of God. To the glory of God. We cancel all debts in Jesus' name. The security they stole, the joy they stole, the years they stole, the trust they stole. We cancel the debt in Jesus' name. We cancel it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.
Now, God, where there's been anger, give us joy. Where there's been strife, give us peace. Where there's been resentments, give us grace, oh God. To the glory of Jesus Christ. Free us in Jesus' name. Free us in Jesus' name. Free us. Free us in Jesus' name. And no longer are we going to be controlled by anger. We're going to be controlled by the precious Holy Spirit. No longer are we going to be controlled with smoldering resentment. No, we're going to have the fire of the Holy Spirit in us. We're going to be permeated and controlled by the Holy Spirit and His Word. Hallelujah. And these God-given emotions are not going to guide us. They're not going to guide us any longer. The Holy Spirit's going to guide us. So Holy Ghost, come and do your work in us, oh God. Do your work in us. Oh God, do a mighty work in us, Lord. Do a mighty work in us, God. A mighty work in our church. A mighty work in our city, oh God. Do a work in us, oh God. A work inside of us, Holy Spirit. Do your precious work, oh God. Do your work. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 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 So God, we let go today. We let go and we embrace your teaching. We embrace your word. We embrace your spirit. Fill us today. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us to overflowing with joy and peace and love and graciousness and compassion and tenderness.